Dan read to you just a few moments ago from a passage uh, we'll be looking at today from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. But if you look at the passage that precedes that just before it in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul sort of lays out his qualifications for leadership. Uh, he's kind of been put into a situation where he needs to make a case that he is qualified to lead the church. And as I read through those uh, arguments that Paul makes last week, I kept imagining Paul in a job interview, what it would look like if the Apostle Paul went to a job interview for a church. So here's, here's my make-believe interview of Paul applying for a position at a church. So, of course, they set up a Zoom meeting with him and asked Paul some questions. So the first question, so Paul, in the questionnaire we sent you, you indicated that you've, you've been in jail. You want to tell us a little more about that situation? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been arrested. I've actually been arrested in prison several times. Matter of fact, I've been flogged and beaten and stoned more times than I can remember. Uh, and I, I imagine there's actually still some warrants out for my arrest. There was that situation in Damascus where some friends had to lower me down uh, from a window in a basket to get out of there before they could get me. I'm sure if I went back there, they're still looking for me. Okay, Paul. Uh, so you didn't list a permanent address. You want to tell us why? Well, as you know, I'm on the move a lot. I, I'm doing work of ministry. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm uh, starting churches. I'm going back to encourage those churches as they grow. But to tell you the truth, I also just always seem to be on the edge of losing my life. Every time I turn around, there's a shipwreck. There's bandits out trying to kill me. My Jewish countrymen are trying to kill me. Gentiles are trying to kill me. I go in the country, someone's trying to kill me. I go in the city, someone's trying to kill me. It, it's actually just healthy to stay on the move. And if I'm really honest, sometimes I've just been plain homeless. Sometimes I've not had food or water. Uh, I've even been to the point that I've been naked on the streets. I've been without clothes. So, yeah, uh, staying on the move just seems like a healthy thing to do. All righty then, Paul. So how about you tell us, uh, let's just move on to strengths and weaknesses. How, we get, how about we get to that question? Can you just tell us some of your ministry strengths and weaknesses? Uh, my weaknesses definitely outweigh my strengths. That would definitely be the longer list. Uh, I've been told, and I think it's true, that sometimes when I'm actually with people, I can, I can be kind of timid uh, in person. People don't think that about me, but in person with people, I can be kind of slow sometimes to say hard things. I'll tell you what, though, I can write a powerful letter. I'm, I'm pretty bold in letters. Of course, some people have said my letters are forceful and weighty, whatever that means. Uh, when it comes to speaking, I, I would say that I'm not a trained speaker. I think my content's pretty good. I think I know the Word of God pretty well. But people have said about my speaking that my physical presence is unimpressive. Matter of fact, they've even gone so far as to say my speaking is of no account, which I think was a little bit much. Uh, but yeah, not a trained speaker. Okay, Paul, thanks for applying for the position. We'll get back with you if we need anything more in Zoom meeting. Uh, when you read through the qualifications that Paul lists, not the most impressive. Uh, he highlights the things that most in the world would call weaknesses. The real situation in Corinth that was going on that Paul was addressing was that this is a church that he helped to found. Uh, it's been some time since he's been there. 
And in Paul's absence, some, some false apostles, people that Paul refers to sarcastically as super apostles, but he says they're people who are masquerading as servants of righteousness. That some of these false apostles have slipped into Corinth and they're trying to undermine Paul's authority and the things that Paul has taught and to take over there, to take over leadership there. So Paul is kind of forced into a situation that you can tell makes him incredibly uncomfortable where he has to defend himself. Because it seems that one of the ways that these uh, false apostles are trying to undermine Paul's authority is they're pointing to these things that he has just listed, these things that the world would call weaknesses. And you have to understand, in the ancient world, it was very common that when someone faced a lot of tragedy or illness, when they struggled a lot, that the belief was that they were people that the, the gods were angry with or disappointed with in some way, and that's why all those things were happening to them. And Paul's life had plenty of tragedy and struggle, and so it was easy for them to make that case. But I also imagine in some ways they were just saying, do you really want the guy who's leading you to be a guy who's always in so many messes? Because his life is just looks like such a mess. Is that the guy you really think has the strength and the power to lead? So again, Paul is kind of forced to defend himself. But the other thing that I think has, has led these Corinthian believers to turn to these false apostles is not just the case they're making against Paul, but they're also... Uh, kind of enamored with the speaking abilities of these false apostles. It seems they were eloquent speakers. They were also people that have powerful personalities, it seems. People were bold, who were authoritative in the things they did, and they were impressed with that. On top of that, they told a lot of stories, stories about remarkable visions that God had given them and revelations from God. So again, Paul has to make his case but as he makes this case, you can tell he's pretty uncomfortable doing it, talking about himself in that way. Um, and he uses a really strange approach to make his case. I kind of like it. I've been accused of this a bit myself. Uh, he uses sarcasm. I mean, this whole speech just drips with sarcasm as he makes it. It's kind of like Paul is saying, uh, if it's a fool you all want, then it's a fool that I'm going to give you. I'll be like those super apostles, and I'll boast about myself. And before he makes this speech, he kind of sets it up this way. Listen to these words and see if you don't hear a little sarcasm in this. In beginning in verse 16 of chapter 11, he says, In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. So gladly put up, you, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit, we were too weak for that. If only we were that strong and powerful like these super apostles. If we were so strong and powerful that we could take advantage of you and exploit you and use you for our own benefit and to lift ourselves up. But what a shame we're just not that strong. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 21, all the way through the passage that you heard Dan read. And he gives this speech, kind of laying out boasting like the super apostles do, boasting about himself. 
Um, it's a speech that's often referred to as the fool speech because Paul makes a fool of himself. He boasts like the super apostles. He begins by kind of matching their boasts. They have boasts about their Jewish heritage and their qualifications, uh, great background. And Paul starts out by doing the exact same thing, boasting about his Jewish heritage. But quickly you just hear the discomfort in Paul. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. And then Paul shifts things. Instead of boasting about the things the world considers strengths, Paul begins talking about his weaknesses. He boasts about the things he's weak in. And those are the things that I just kind of read to you in that make-believe interview with Paul. And he, he lists all these weaknesses, or at least what the world would call weaknesses. And when he's talking about weaknesses, he's not talking about sin. In this case, he's, he's talking about weaknesses that are the kind of things that you just realize you're out of control, things I don't have the power to change. I don't have the power to change these natural circumstances, the choices of others. They're, they're just things in life I run into that I, my vulnerability is exposed. I'm helpless in these situations. And, and Paul lists those things. Then we come to our passage in chapter 12. And here Paul seems to switch back again. Now, once again, he's going to boast like these super apostles, boast in the things that the world seems to think are worthy of boasts. And in this case, he's going to join them in boasting about visions or revelations that came from the Lord. But again, you hear Paul's discomfort in doing it, even as he does it. Because, because he says, I'm going to tell you about a man I know who had one of these remarkable visions. But it seems when you get to verse 7, he's actually been talking about himself. But, he, but he's so uncomfortable doing it. He tells us about a man he knows. A man who had this vision from God that, that was brought before God in paradise and God spoke to him. We're told it happened 14 years ago. For 14 years, Paul has found no reason to talk about this. But now he's kind of pressured into it. And he says the things that God revealed to him were inexpressible things, things he was not permitted to tell. So Paul's telling us these were things that were for him, that God told him for him. This was a private conversation. Now, this wasn't something that he was to tell others about. And he still doesn't. He doesn't give us the content of that conversation. Basically what Paul is saying is, I could share these things if I wanted to, but why? What would be my purpose in doing so? In verse 6, he explains it this way. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Kind of a backdoor way of saying something about these super apostles. He's saying, now I, I could tell about these great revelations from God. Uh, I would be telling the truth if I did so. Unlike those super apostles who are telling these stories that are not the truth. But I could. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Paul, Paul is not a name dropper. Or in this case, Paul's not an ecstatic spiritual experience dropper. Paul is a guy who says, I'm not going to attach myself to somebody else or some experience to try and somehow absorb their strength the praise that belongs to them and somehow make it my own by attaching myself to them. Paul says, I want to be judged simply by what I do and say, nothing more. 
Um, Paul is not encouraging us somehow to disparage ourselves. It's not what he does or to, to be filled with some kind of self-contempt. Paul is, Paul is saying there are things I do. There's things I say. Fine. Judge me based on those. See my strengths and my weaknesses in those things. Judge me honestly for who I am. But he's not caught up in this practice of self-glorifying. He doesn't want to somehow convince people that he's more than he actually is, and he's sure not going to do that by taking away glory that belongs to another, in this case, that belongs to God. He's saying that, you know, when those revelations and visions happen, it's not something to praise me in. It's something that ought to cause us to praise God. And then as he ends the speech, this full speech, Paul switches again. He switches from the things the world boasts in to boasting in weakness. In this case, Paul talks about uh, his thorn in the flesh. There's lots of conversation and guesswork about what that thorn in the flesh was. But the one thing that we do know is it tormented him. It was tough. It says he prayed several times for Christ to take it away from him. And this time, Christ did reveal something to him, and he's going to tell us what it was. This is something for him and for us. Christ didn't take it away from him, but what Christ told him was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. My power is made complete. Uh, It's fulfilling its purpose. My power is made perfect in weakness. Christ is saying to Paul that, that his suffering and his struggles can never outlast God's grace and God's power. No matter how tough it gets, there is enough of God's grace and God's power to bring him through it. You know, if we are honest, we all know that no matter what kind of worldly powers we have, uh, whether it be intellect or wealth or talent, position, uh, popularity, influence, whatever it is, we all many times in our life come face to face with situations where our power isn't enough where we are helpless, we will all come face to face with the fact that there are things beyond us that we're not enough to handle on our own or change. It's true. We all know it's true. But at the same time, it's something I think all of us hate to face. In a lot of ways, I think it's something we fear to face, that we're not enough on our own. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this passage, tells about a strange Roman tradition He writes, a Roman general or emperor parading through the throng of cheering crowds at a great triumphal procession would have a slave in the chariot with him whose job it was to whisper in his ear, remember, you too are mortal. Remember, you too are mortal. The ancients recognized mostly that it was dangerous to become too elated. You could become guilty of what they called hubris or arrogant pride. Paul, too, has something that whispers like this in his ear, his thorn in the flesh. Remember, you too are mortal. Remember, you too. Uh, Your power isn't enough. And then Paul goes on to say he literally delights in his weaknesses. He says he delights in hardship, persecution, difficulty, and even in this thorn in the flesh. Why? He's not saying that these things are in and of themselves good. The thorn in the flesh, he tells us, is a messenger of Satan. It's not good. It's not God wants suffering for us for suffering's sake. He is saying he's come to delight in those things because it's 
Those are the place, those are the occasion when his power is not enough that he has the opportunity to experience and to enjoy God's power and grace that rests upon him. It's the moment when he, when he sees that, understands that power that is so much more than his, that in some ways, when, when his power is enough, he doesn't even look for, he doesn't even pay attention to. These are the moments that he finally gets to experience and understand it. That there is power that's so much bigger and so much more than him's. And that it comes because of the unmerited kindness of God. Now, this is not to say that weakness uh, will automatically result in our experience of God's power and God's grace. Uh, I do think as believers, God's power and grace does rest upon us. But, it, but we often live life, life as if that's not true. We don't experience, we don't, we don't even think about it. Matter of fact, we are so busy clinging to our own strength, we don't even consider it. In a lot of ways, we are just really committed to self-sufficiency. And like those super apostles, because we are, when we bump up against those moments where it's not enough, a lot of times we will lie, we will pretend, we will lie to ourselves, we will lie to others, we will boast about things to try and convince ourselves and others that our power is enough, that we are strong enough to handle it on our own. Or we will shrink our world small enough where the power we actually do have is sufficient. We will avoid things, stay away from things, pull out of things, to make our world small enough where we can now live in the reality of, yep, my strength is enough here. We lie, we avoid, because we want so much to be enough all by ourselves. Paul's example is very different than that. He faced hard realities. He prayed for God to take those hard realities away. But he also went through them when it was necessary. He honestly embraced the limits of his power and he looked for power beyond his own so that he might persevere and God's will might be done. And in those moments, he delighted in the power and the grace of God because, um, man, it is so much better and so much more than anything we as humans can produce. An obvious application of this passage, I think, is uh, with COVID-19 and all that's going on right now. COVID-19 is an ugly virus. Don't want to make it sound like there's something good or some blessing that we have this. It's not. But man, if you talk about something that has exposed the limits of our power, of wealth, intellect, popularity, talent, all forms of human power. It doesn't mean those things don't matter, but man, it has exposed the limits of them. In a lot of ways, this little virus has brought the world to its knees. Paul didn't delight in the torment, but he did delight in the exposure of his weakness because he, it opened him up to experience and to share the grace and power of God that rests upon him. Earlier in this letter uh, to Corinth, Paul described himself and those with him as jars of clay. I want to end this message by reading that passage to you, and I'm going to read it from the translation of the message. He wrote, We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. 
As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us, trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are a constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to embrace truth, embrace reality. Father, you have given us gifts and strengths and abilities, and we are thankful for that. Pray, Father, we would use them wisely, use them well, the resources you've given us. But, Father, you have also created us as people who are dependent upon you and upon one another. We are never made to be completely self-sufficient. Father, I pray you'd help us to own that, to know that. And when we come face to face with it, Father, not to run away from it, not to lie about it or deny it. Father, to delight in the fact that we don't have to be more than we are. That because of you, because of your great power and your strength, and because of the unmerited kindness that you pour out on us in your grace, Father, we just don't have to be enough by ourselves because you are more than enough. And we thank you in your blessed name. Amen.